Bibles to John chapter 20, John chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 24 through 29 this morning. The title of our message this morning is The Skeptic, The Skeptic, as we are continuing our studies in the life of Christ. And the particular topic we're on is the resurrection. And we're going to look at uh, the skeptic who did have an experience with the resurrection. This is the sixth appearance of Jesus after he resurrected. And it took place, uh, and once again, when it took place, it was in the presence of the disciples as a group. This was the first recorded appearance that didn't happen on that first Easter Sunday. A week has passed now in our text since that greatest day of all days, the resurrection. And even though after this resurrect, after the resurrection appearance took place in the presence of the disciples as a group, it focuses mostly on one of the disciples in particular, and that is the skeptic, the doubting Thomas, the disciple. And he in particular is the subject of who Jesus is going to look at this morning. Also known, as I said, as Doubting Thomas. He showed a whole lot of skepticism during the week before the resurrection of Jesus. The post-resurrection appearance or the, you know, after-resurrection appearance of Jesus is reported only in the Gospel of John. And we'll see at the end of the chapter, the incident really fits in with the purpose of John's Gospel which is to emphasize that Jesus was God. And John chose different events in Jesus' life to especially prove that Jesus was God. And this incident could be said to be the final word of the Gospel of John. You see, the problem with Thomas was his unbelief. Now, in verse 27 here, it says he wasn't believing. Now, in the King James Version, verse 27 says that he that that Jesus uh, said to him, be not faithless, be not faithless. The word faithless means not believing. Now, the world doesn't uh, doesn't think that unbelief is a problem. Because, you see, they often honor those who support unbelief, especially when it comes to the word of God and Jesus Christ. But you see, the word of God tells us that unbelief is a huge problem. And it has been ever since the beginning. Remember back in Genesis, God told Abraham to leave his home. And he said, I will take you to a country I will show you. Well, as God was leading him out, he led him to this place and and there was a famine where he had ended up. So Abraham was forced to go to Egypt because of that famine. Well, while he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abraham said to his wife, Sarai, look, you're a very beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife. Let's kill him and we can have her. So Abraham says to his wife, says, please tell them you're my sister. Then they'll spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. So see, even Abraham, who was called a man of faith, had a lapse of faith in this particular instance. Hebrews eleven sixteen says that without faith is impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that he is. So let's begin now in chapter 20 with verse 24. 
And John writes, Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them, that is the other disciples, when Jesus came, and that is on that first Sunday evening. This verse is talking about, like I said, the meeting Jesus had with the disciples on that first Sunday night after his resurrection. Now in John 20, verses 19 through 20, we read this. Then the same day, resurrection day, that evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst, and he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The words here referring to Thomas as one of the twelve, it seems to suggest that his absence is considered by John to be a dereliction of duty uh, of an apostle. In other words, he should have been there. He should have been there that night with the rest of the disciples. Why wasn't he? Why wasn't Thomas with the other disciples on that first resurrection evening Sunday? Even again, evening when Jesus showed himself to the disciples. Well, the bottom line is this. It was his lack of faith. His lack of faith. People who lack faith aren't all that excited to fellowship with fellow believers, which is really sad. People who lack faith aren't really going to pour into the church. When our faith is lacking, so is our fellowship. Our fellowship with one another will also be lacking. So our church attendance will be lacking as well. Thomas's failure for not being with the other disciples that night resulted in Thomas missing some really big blessings. In principle, what Thomas missed by not being there that night when Jesus appeared is what a lot of people miss when they skip church services. They may have reasons for skipping church. They may be good reasons in and of themselves. Reasons that everybody else will say, yeah, that, you know, I, I can understand that. And yeah, okay. And uh, they'll go along with it. You know, by, most people, church people will go along with it. But there's, those who miss are still going to miss the blessings just the same. The lack of fellowship with his brethren, that is Thomas, resulted from a lack of faith. And Thomas's lack of fellowship resulted in a lack of blessings from the Savior. Now, what were some of those blessings that Thomas missed out on? Well, how about, first of all, peace? We read in verse 19 that Jesus told the disciples, peace be with you. But he wasn't there. In verse 21, he said, peace to you. Thomas wasn't there either. Thomas missed that peace because he wasn't there when Jesus appeared that night. And for a whole week, his heart was troubled. His heart doubted. Instead of being at peace because he, he should have been there with the other disciples, he doubted. And because, again, of uh, uh, not having that peace, he has, he, you know, because of his lack of fellowship, there were many troubles in his heart. You know, he didn't have that peace. And we're going to see there were more. And there are many troubled hearts right now because they're lacking the fellowship with the saints. You know, one of the, 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 the strangest things is that when people, you know, are having a tough time or they get bad news or they're having a trial or they're feeling down and out, they stay home from church. The very place they need to be the most. Many troubled hearts right now are because they lack the fellowship of the brothers and the sisters. They stay home and worry about their problems. 
rather than take them to church and take them to the Lord. And maybe have some brothers and sisters to pray with them. Staying home from church doesn't bring peace to your problems. Instead, it, it, it promotes your problems. It even brings more problems. The second blessing that Thomas missed was the proof that he was looking for. The evidence that he wanted to see that, that would make him believe that Jesus had resurrected. You see, at the first meeting with the disciples as a group after the resurrection of Jesus, Thomas wasn't there. He was AWOL. Verse 20 says, it says that, that, that Jesus showed the other disciples. It says he showed them his hands and his side. And again, these were the very same things that Thomas said, I have to see them if I'm going to believe that Jesus resurrected. Well, if he'd have been there, he would have seen them. But he wasn't there on that night. So he didn't believe in the resurrection until a week later, just because he missed that Sunday night service. Missing fellowship with the brethren doesn't help your faith to grow. It hinders your progress and growth in faith. It helps to keep you weak in the faith. The third blessing that, that Thomas missed was the joy of being there. That first appearance of Jesus to the disciples on that first Easter Sunday night resulted in joy for the disciples. Look at verse 20 again. It says, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Thomas wasn't. He wasn't there. He missed out on that joy. Thomas definitely wasn't a happy camper that following week because he was in total doubt. He was in he, he doesn't know if Jesus resurrected. He had his doubts. He was in misery and he showed it when he met up with the disciples, as we're going to see later. Joyous Christians are not the ones who skip church to do other things. The world doesn't give real joy. The world doesn't give lasting joy. It doesn't give lasting fulfillment. No backslider is truly happy. And Thomas surely wasn't. Because for a whole week, Thomas did not believe in the resurrection. While everybody else says, oh, we've seen the Lord. He's resurrected. He said, uh, not till I see him. So he's, he's in doubt. He's miserable. He's not sure. So for that whole week, Thomas you know, did not believe in the resurrection and without the hope of the resurrection. And without that hope, it's like the Apostle Paul said, if our hope in Christ is only in this life, we are men to be most pitied. Man, if it wasn't for the resurrection, we'd be sitting here this morning just wasting our time. Because the resurrection was the capstone to our faith. So again, Thomas was, was totally missing out. Thomas's lack of fellowship and joy all points back to his lack of faith. The fourth blessing that Thomas missed out on was purpose. Purpose. Because you see, at this first meeting, Jesus gave them an assignment to service. Look at verses 21 through 23. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. He, notice what he did here. He gave them purpose in life. In the beginning, verse of 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, I have sent you. But again, Thomas wasn't there. So he missed out on this blessed assignment that Jesus gave them. 
Now, a lot of people in the world wonder, what is my purpose in life? Why was I born? What's the meaning and purpose in life? You see, when you stay away from fellowship and the services where God's word is taught, you'll be among those who lack purpose in life. And I know because I, it, it took me 16 years before I found out my purpose in life because I wasn't applying myself. I wasn't searching the scriptures and, and, and saying, Lord, what, you know, what do you want me to do? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Why was I born? Why did you save me? Look at your life right now. Are you just going to church? Week after week. Being filled with the knowledge of God. Knowledge is to be put to use. Especially the knowledge that God gives us in his word. Is your life going to count for something in the kingdom of God? Like I said, it took me 16 years before I, I, I really stopped and thought. When my life is over, is it, is it going to matter? Or will, will I have been one of those that just went to church from the day they got saved till the day they died. That's it. I was just a churchgoer. And as I began to see more years behind me than I had ahead of me, I thought, Lord, I haven't done a thing in 16 years as a Christian. Yeah, I was saved. I was going to heaven. But I thought when I got to heaven, I'm going to be standing among pastors and missionaries and worship leaders and Isaiah and, and, and Abraham, all these guys. And, and I'm going, oh, what did you do in the kingdom of God? I went to church. <laughs> I went to church. And here you had these great men and women of God that did great and mighty things who were no different than me. They just did what God had called them to do. And when I, when I, when I died, I wanted to say, be able to know that I did more than just go to church. And, and, and you know, God blessed me. And, and when, you, when, when you stop saying no, be ready for the right of your life. When you quit fearing, be ready because God will take you to places you never expected to go. Because it's God. But again, that's why I look at your life right now. And, and when your life is over, is it going to count for something in the kingdom of God? The fifth blessing that Thomas missed was power. At the first meeting with the disciples, notice it says in verse 22, Jesus breathed on them and he said in them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, before Jesus ascended in the book of Acts, he told his disciples when he was eating with them, he says, don't leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So after, the, after Jesus ascended, it says the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And when they got there, they went up to, up to the up, up, uh, upper room and they stayed there. And it says that they, when they all met together, they were constantly united in prayer. Mary was there, the mother of Jesus. Several other women were there all in one place. There was 120 of them all together in the upper room waiting for the day of Pentecost. Waiting for the spirit of the, uh, uh, the, the gift of the promise to come. And, and so they were meeting together. And then, and then all of a sudden it says flames of fire. Flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone was there filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and the Holy Spirit was the power they needed to witness. Now, this was a 10-day prayer meeting from, Je- from Acts chapter 1, 14 to Acts chapter 2, 1. That was 10 days. Pentecost. A 10-day prayer meeting. Think of it, if after two or three days, someone said, you know, I'm, I, I'm tired. You know, nothing's happened. Fifth day, sixth day, somebody else said, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm tired too. I'm, I'm going to leave. And then to find out that the other disciples who had stayed and waited received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what they would have missed out on. And unfortunately, it happens all the time in church. Can you imagine what they missed out on? What a blessing they missed. The disciples were given divine power on that first uh, Sunday evening, that first Easter evening from the Holy Spirit, and it was to help them to live for Jesus and to serve him, and we need that. We need his power for service. But Thomas wasn't there, so he lacked that power for service. Keep in mind, the next time you you look for a justifiable reason for not maintaining fellowship, remember the wonderful things that you just might miss because you're not there. Are you praying for an answer? Are you praying for wisdom? Are you praying for a healing? You know, it could be the very place in in a church service where God meets that prayer. And maybe he wants to do it in the presence of the brothers and sisters for a testimony in the glory of God. But you're not here tonight or that morning because, you know, you, for whatever reason, weren't there. What a blessing that you're liable to miss out on. And we need to always keep that in mind. You might suffer great loss in your spiritual life. Verse 25. I'm going to read it again one, one, one more time here. Verse 25. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas's stubborn unbelief is really pointed out here when he said, notice, I will not. I will not belief and he was very firm in his unbelief and he made it very clear i will not believe unless my conditions are met now unbelievers will criticize us for being dogmatic and unbending in what we believe but the unbeliever can turn around and be just as unbending and dogmatic, which is nothing less than, stu- than stubbornness. Unbelief can be so stubborn that it's not affected by any argument or evidence. It can be very unbending and very unmovable. Now, what was the source of Thomas's unbelief? It was willfulness. He said, I will not. Plain and simple, I will not. So his unbelief, think of it, It wasn't an intellectual problem. It was a heart problem. And we hear that and see that over and over and over again in the scriptures. In our last study, Thomas's belief was was like the unbelief of the two on the road to Emmaus. Remember, Jesus said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. It wasn't slow of head. It was slow of heart. The heart is the problem when it comes to belief. I'm sorry, unbelief. 
The heart is the problem when it comes to unbelief. The stubborn heart has to be overcome by the working of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is plenty of solid intellectual evidence and arguments that you can find to support faith. So again, it's not a lack of intellectual evidence or convincing arguments that keeps people in unbelief. It's the willful, stubborn heart that keeps people in unbelief. It's not that I can't, it's that I won't. People don't believe because they don't want to believe. And debate and dialogue with intellects is usually just a big waste of time because they think it's all about some intellectual argument. The intellectual approach misses the real problem. We need to be diligent to give the message of the Word of God and then let the Holy Spirit work on the hearts and the men of women of unbelief, whoever they are. Our job is to preach the Word. God's job is to bring the results. I do my part, God does His part. You see, you can argue scriptures all day long with somebody and get nowhere. And remember, an argue will not change a life. The Holy Spirit's best work when the word of God is being proclaimed and lived. That's when he does his best work. The Holy Spirit works best when God's word is being proclaimed and lived by the one proclaiming it. I think one of the biggest hindrances in people coming to the Lord is they hear the word preached and it makes sense, but they don't see it lived in the life of the one preaching it. Or other Christians who claim to be you know, Christians. You know, they talk about so much hypocrisy in the church. And, you know, some of it just absolute, absolute hypocrisy. They, they, they speak the word, believe the word, and talk about how much they love the Lord, but there's no life. There's no living of it. And that's, that's, that's a, a cri- critical part of seeing people come to the gospel. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is alive and powerful, is sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. The word of God can do things that nothing and no one else can do. The word of God penetrates the heart. And then in verse 25, notice it says, The other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Thomas, we've seen him. We've seen him with our own eyes. And even though the ten disciples says we've seen him, he said, nope. Don't believe it. Standing right there in front of him, ten men who were close to him, who, who were all believers, said, Thomas, we've seen him. There weren't any more competent witnesses that he could have had of the resurrection than these 10 men. And yet Thomas still didn't believe him. This was very foolish on Thomas's part. Think about it. Men who had actually seen him. And it shows how foolish it is to have such unbelief. 
Very foolish of Thomas because he rejected their testimony. These ten most competent men. Isn't it kind of foolish to go against these ten disciples of Jesus Christ? That kind of, of a witness? But you see, unbelief shows its foolishness in how it rejects even the best evidence. So it shows us that what people need isn't more facts. They need more faith. You see, there are plenty of facts concerning the gospel, but faith certainly is not. There's plenty of facts concerning the gospel, but faith is, 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 there's not plenty of facts for their faith. If you ignore the facts about the gospel, your judgment is going to be a horror story. And Thomas said, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. What Thomas did here was just dictate to God what it would take for me to believe you, Lord. That's what it would take, God, for me to believe that Jesus resurrected. Have you ever wished you could actually see Jesus Touch him, hear his words. Are there times you would just love to sit down with him and, and get his advice? You see, Thomas wanted Jesus' physical presence. But God's plan is wiser. He, has, he, he hasn't limited himself to one physical body. He wants to be present with you all the time. And at all times. Even now he's with you in the form of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. The Spirit of Christ dwells in you in the Holy Spirit. You can talk to Him. You can find His words to you in the pages of the Bible. He can be as real to you as He was to Thomas. But this ordering of the terms that Thomas gave reflects a lot of pride and arrogance. And in spite of the fact that God had provided more than enough evidence, Thomas said, I need more. And Thomas gives himself He's given himself more authority than God. Because he tells God the terms on which he'll believe, which is obviously wrong. God tells us what the conditions for faith are. Thomas arrogantly usurped God's authority here. God has given us many infallible proofs of his existence. He's not going to adjust his work. He's not going to change things to meet the demands of some unbelieving person. God is going to do and is doing his work his way, and he's not going to change things just to please a disrespectful person. If you want to believe, it's going to have to be on God's terms and not yours. Unbelief puts the emphasis on the physical senses. It's saying, hey, until I see, then I'll believe. Thomas put it on sight and feeling here. But you see, faith has a different emphasis. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is also based on God's word. Romans 10.17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Unbelief would rather see, it would rather feel than believe. The word of God. You see, unbelief prefers the flesh to the word of God. Because God's word isn't enough. Thomas has to see and he has to touch. 
his faith has to be satisfied physically. You see, that's what unbelief does. Unbelief promotes a physical religion, not one of faith. A religion embracing unbelief in God's word will always turn towards the physical. It will emphasize the flesh. But when Jesus appeared to Thomas, Thomas was totally convinced that it was him. It was, he was totally convinced it was Jesus and, 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 and it was Jesus that he had a bodily resurrection and everything that applied as a result of the resurrection, everything that Jesus claimed. Thomas says, this is true. It was a momentous occasion, especially for Thomas. And from that time on, Thomas was a witness for Jesus Christ, a faithful witness. Fox's Book of Martyrs says that after Jesus ascended, the apostles went out proclaiming the gospel. It says that Thomas ministered the gospel in Parthia and India. And because his ministry enraged the pagan priests, that Thomas was martyred by being thrust through with the spear. Verses 26 through 28. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. You see, Jesus had heard Thomas's words. That he's when Thomas said, I, I'm not going to believe until you know, I see it for myself. Nobody had to tell Jesus what Thomas had said. So the next Lord's Day, Jesus appeared in the room, the doors were locked, and he dealt personally with Thomas and his unbelief. Jesus' resurrected body was unique. It wasn't the same kind of flesh and blood that Lazarus had when Lazarus came back to life. Jesus' body was no longer subject to the same laws of nature as before he died. He could now appear in a locked room, yet he was not a ghost or an apparition. He wasn't some some embodied spirit that was just floating around. Jesus could eat and be touched. Jesus' resurrection was literal and it was physical. Think of how gracious our Lord is to stoop to Thomas's level and give Thomas what he asked for. And it didn't matter. If Thomas ever did touch the Lord's wounds. When the time came to prove his faith, Thomas didn't need any more proof. After Jesus told Thomas to stop being faithless, Thomas was faced with, faced with his own words. And it was time now for Thomas to make a decision. And he did. And he said, my Lord and my God. Verse 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas. Because you have seen me, you, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Verse 29 shows us that Thomas's testimony didn't come from him touching Jesus, but from seeing Jesus, my Lord and my God. That's the last of the testimonies that John records regarding the deity of Christ. And it's an encouragement to us to know that the Lord had a personal interest and concern for doubting Thomas. He wanted to strengthen his faith. 
And you wanted to include him in the blessings that, that lay in store for all of Christ's followers. Thomas reminds us that unbelief robs us of time. It robs us of blessings and opportunities. Oh, and it may sound sophisticated and, 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 and really intellectually to question what Jesus did. You know, oh, we got you. You can't answer this question. But such questions are usually evidence of hard hearts, not searching minds. Thomas's request of show me represents the scientific approach to life. It didn't work. Because when a skeptic says, says, I will not believe unless he's already saying he does believe. He's saying he believes in the validity of the test or experiment that he has come up with. If he can have faith in his own scientific approach, why can't he have faith in what God has revealed to him? And we need to remind ourselves that everybody lives by faith. Everybody, the believer as well as the, unbe as the unbeliever. The difference is, is what is our faith in? Christians put their faith in God and his word. Unsaved people put their faith in themselves. And what's neat here is Jesus, Jesus wasn't hard on Thomas because he doubted. Even in spite of his skepticism, Thomas was still loyal to the believers and to Jesus himself. And some, and some need doubt. Some people need to doubt in order to find faith in themselves. Jesus, like I said, because if doubt leads to questions and those questions lead to answers because you're searching, those answers are accept and those answers are accepted that, that you find out, then that doubt has done good work. But it's when doubt becomes stubbornness and stubbornness becomes a prideful lifestyle that doubt harms faith. You see, when you doubt, that's fine. God doesn't mind us doubting. As long as we'll be honest and search and try to find out the answer to what we're doubting. That's why he said, hey, he says, come, let us reason together. I've given you a brain. Use it. Search these things out. Search them through. When you doubt, don't stop there. Don't say, well, you know, I, I, I doubt it. So, I, you know, no, don't stop at doubt. Let your doubt deepen your faith as you continue to search for the answer. And God says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you're honestly searching for the answers to God, you'll find them. You will find what you need to know. Some people think they would believe in Jesus Christ if they could see a definite sign or a miracle. But that's not true. We saw that with the rich man in Lazarus, Luke 16, 27 through 31. Listen to what it says. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's house because I have five brothers and I want to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned you. Notice your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but it, but if someone was sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their signs and turn to God. But Abraham said, even he says, he said, Eve, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen. Even if someone rises from the dead. You see what he's saying? Hey, it's written here. Jesus rose from the dead. If people saw somebody rise from the dead, they still wouldn't believe. But Jesus says we're blessed if we can believe without seeing. 
You see, we have all the proof that we need in the words of the Bible and the testimony of believers. A physical appearance would not make Jesus any more real to us than he is now. And John couldn't end his book without bringing the resurrection miracle to those that he was writing to. We must not look at Thomas and the other disciples and envy them because they saw Christ. As though the power of Christ's resurrection could ever, you know, be experienced or couldn't be experienced in our lives today. It can. And that was why John wrote this gospel to the people in every age so that they could know that Jesus is God and that faith brings him, faith in Christ brings us everlasting life. You see, we don't have to see Jesus Christ in order to believe in Jesus Christ. And it's no doubt that it was a blessing for the Christian in Christ's day to see their Lord and to know that he was alive. But you see, that's not what saved them. They weren't saved because they saw Jesus. They weren't saved because they heard Jesus audibly. They weren't saved because they touched him. They were saved because they believed in who he was. So the emphasis throughout the Gospel of John is on believing. There are nearly 100 references in John's Gospel to believing on Jesus Christ. We can't see him today, nor can we see him perform the miracles that John wrote about in his Gospel. But it is written. It's all written. And that's all that we need. When you read John's gospel, you come face to face with Jesus Christ, how he lived, what he said and what he did. And all of the evidence points to the conclusion that he is truly God come in the flesh, the savior of the world. In closing. Sometimes people think that it would have been easier to believe if they saw him with their own eyes or they touched him with their own hands. But that's a mistake. Our generation and all generations that haven't seen him don't have any less advantage than those who did and those who are with him on the earth. You see, if we have the word of God, we have the greatest advantage of faith. Verse 31 here says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. 1 John 5.13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. There it is, that you may know that you have eternal life. John wasn't satisfied in simply writing to explain a subject. He was an evangelist. And he was, he, he was wanting to achieve an object. That is, he wanted his readers to believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. And that's why these were written, so that you would know. You don't have to see or touch. John wasn't writing a biography. He wasn't writing history to entertain or to enlighten the people. He was writing as an evangelist to change men's lives. If you've already made this wonderful life-changing decision, receiving Christ as your Savior, then thank God every single day for the precious life, gift of eternal life. But if you haven't, make that decision right now. He who believes in the Son of God has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, that is eternal life, but you'll see the wrath of God will abide on you. 
Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, thanking you, Lord, for this beautiful chapter, Lord. We thank you for the resurrection, Father. We thank you that Jesus resurrected on the third day as the word promised, Lord. And Father, though we weren't there to see it, to experience any of it, God, we believe it, Lord, for it is written that we may know. And Father, help us to keep that in mind. We walk by faith and not by sight, God. It is written, it is documented for us, Lord. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we pray that God's Spirit has spoken to you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Think of it now. The Holy Spirit, that Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in all believers. He dwells in all believers. And when a person receives Christ, he receives or she receives the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that what, that's what gives you the ability to live a new life. Born again. The worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship. And if you feel the call of God in your heart. As we worship, you get up out of your seat. You make your way towards the steps up front. And when the song is over, we'll, we'll, we'll say together a simple prayer of faith.